This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land. And this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Peter Dutton has once again gone nuclear. Despite the coalition not taking up the nuclear option while they were in power, the opposition leader is now saying nuclear energy is a safe, cheap and consistent power source, which will help Australia transition away from fossil fuels toward a zero-emissions economy. But his claims just don't stack up. Malcolm Turnbull called his cheerleading of nuclear energy bonkers and accused the Liberal leader of saying stupid things. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisha about nuclear power and Peter Dutton's politics of diversion. It's Friday, the 11th of August. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Hi. It's an idea that seemingly won't die, Lenore. Opposition leader Peter Dutton is once again pushing nuclear energy as an alternative to fossil fuels. What's happening here? Well, he's been talking about nuclear power for some time now, it must be said. He used his budget speech in reply last year to call for a debate on nuclear power and how building small nuclear reactors on the sites of old coal-fired power stations might be a terrific idea. In the 21st century, any sensible government must at least consider small modular nuclear as part of the energy mix. Now his energy spokesman, Ted O'Brien, is really ramping it up. They haven't got a formal position yet. They just keep kind of rolling this debate along and trying to see whether they can get some traction with it. When it comes to Australia's future energy mix, the coalition believes in an all-the-above approach where every possible technology is considered. It's on the table. But now he's talking about a coal-to-nuclear transition. Now, my old friend Chris Bowen has burrowed so deeply down the renewable rabbit hole, that he refuses to consider these new nuclear technologies to be any part of the solution. Seriously. I mean, this is a dead horse. This is a horse that's been dead for a really, really long time. It was dead all through the period that they were in government, which was why it was never part of their policy when they could have actually done something about it. So there is a real live question, why are they still flogging it? And I'm sure we'll get to that. But I have to sort of make it clear to listeners first that I'm not saying it's a dead horse out of some kind of crazy ideological position against nuclear power, but every regulator, every scientist, every scientific study, 
the entire energy industry says that for Australia it costs too much and it takes too long and that we have much better access to renewable resources and that this really doesn't make sense for us. So if you're looking for an actual policy to solve the real and actual problem of reducing Australians' emissions, this is pretty much the worst possible option, but they keep on talking about it. As Lenore said, Mike, there has been quite a few reports on why nuclear isn't a good idea. Should we get into some of the detail about the many reasons why it wouldn't work in Australia? Sure. So there's been the Net Zero Australia report that's uh, done by academic institutions. And there was the GenCost report, which came out in May. That's a partnership between CSIRO and the Australian Energy Market Operator. They take into account all kinds of experts in energy. It's by no means a sort of left field, you know, anti-nuclear or anti-anything stance. It's just a completely dispassionate look, taking into account all the expert advice on relative costs of generating electricity to get to the net zero future that everyone wants to. And they all come up, as Lenore said, with basically the same answer, which is that for a country like Australia that has no existing nuclear power generating industry, it would take until at least well into the 2030s or 2040 perhaps to actually get a plant, nuclear plant that was producing energy for the grid. And the costs of that are compared with renewables and almost every other possible technology are just astronomical. It just doesn't make any sense. I guess the new thing, which is what they are always inserting into the debate now, is the word small modular reactors. Which are safe and emit zero emissions. Namely small modular reactors or SMRs, which are also known, as you're well aware, as nuclear batteries. It's a particular favourite of Barnaby Joyce, among others who was on Insiders in October talking about something completely different and just randomly inserted into the conversation that people in his local IGA in Tamworth presumably were talking about small ventilating bench. And the ladies and the blokes at IGA paying for their groceries will still be arguing about other things and the world will have moved on. Let the Prime Minister... seemed unlikely. But the point about that is they're saying, like, most of the studies have been on the kind of large nuclear plants that are and have been in operation for decades in many countries. But the word around small modular reactors is this is something that could be fired up much quicker, much more cheaply than that. But the problem with that is it's not an existing technology. It's only been tried in a couple of places. There's one in Russia and one in China. They've had a lot of problems. It's not something we could adopt easily in the rest of the world. And there's just seem completely at odds on this. Like Susan Lee in the papers this week said the government should look to the rest of the world and embrace nuclear. Whereas Barnaby Joyce in that interview was saying we should do small modular reactors before the rest of the world develops them, which seems a particularly impractical idea, given that we have existing technologies that we know work and we know are cheaper. And that GenCost study, even when it used incredibly advantageous assumptions for small nuclear reactors, they still came out more expensive. So it sort of looked at costs by 2030 because they're not going to be online until then. And they actually estimated that the capital costs for SMR would halve over that time. So really generous assumptions. And they're still way more expensive than renewables for Australia in Australian conditions. And the thing is, it's kind of like exactly the kind of power we don't need. Like the power that we need is power to fill in the gaps in a system that's running on the cheaper renewable energy. That's what we need in the next little while. That's exactly what nuclear doesn't do. You can't turn it on and off. So it's just, 
it's impractical, it's too expensive, it's a really nutty idea. And it's interesting, like even people like Alan Finkel and Robin Batterham, who are both former chief scientists and both actually supportive of nuclear energy, say it's got no role to play in Australia. In fact, Batterham said to Renew Economy website, it's not in the race, we shouldn't waste time arguing about it with which I kind of agree. Mm. So there are countries where there's a case to be made for it, like in Germany, for example, where they've just shut their last three nuclear plants. It might have made a whole lot of sense for them to keep them open for longer, but that's a case where they're already established as an an existing nuclear industry. It's a matter of, you know, that's entirely different from starting from scratch. And even the cases that Ted O'Brien, he's just come back from a study tour and he was very excited about what was happening in Wyoming where there are plans to build one of these plants, but it hasn't started yet. They don't have a fuel source. It won't be online till 2030. So, and he's saying, well, the community there is loving it. Well, maybe, maybe not, but I don't really see how the comparison is valid for Australia. We haven't even got to the point that it's illegal in Australia currently. Oh, there's that. Oh, yeah, there's that. (laughs) due to, you know, legislation that was passed in the 90s, that would have to change. So With that's partisan pos- support. possible, of course, but unlikely, you'd think. And then we also haven't got to the question of what to do with the waste that would be produced from a nuclear mm. industry. We've had extreme difficulties in dealing with well, so 40 years know, on and we don't yeah. have a waste dump. Yeah, we have been talking about what to do with nuclear waste for a long time, haven't we, Lenore? We sure have. So because we've got the uh, reactor at Lucas Heights for sort of medical nuclear provisions. There's some low-level waste from that. We are also taking in intermediate-level waste, including some waste that's coming back from France where we export uranium. The amount of waste that we have is already sort of far beyond our ability to store it. It's our reporter, Tori Shepard, wrote a story recently that it's sort of stored in cupboards and places all over the country because we've spent 40 years trying to find a long-term waste storage site and we still don't have one. So that really is a question that you would need to resolve before you even started to think about any kind of nuclear reactor because communities probably understandably really don't want a nuclear waste dump in their backyard. There's another point to be made here, I think, which is that in this, quotes coal to nuclear transition that is they seem to be trying out language on, which is that kind of implies that it's going to replace a lot of coal jobs in very specific regional areas. Which, for a start, the number of jobs in the coal industry is relatively small in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, depending on how you count them, between sort of 30 and 50,000, which is not that many in uh, over, you know, it doesn't form a large percentage of jobs in the national numbers, but it does count for a lot in certain communities. And there seems to be this implication that nuclear could somehow replace that. But a functioning nuclear plant does not involve a lot of people to run it. I don't want to make it sound like it's in the Simpsons but <laughs> uh, like they take a lot of they take a lot of people to build them and that would be a lot of people over a, quite a long period of time as discussed too long a period of time but once they're up and running it's just not the job numbers are in the hundreds not the thousands there has been a bit of questioning around those gen cost figures that you've both mentioned what's the basis of that so news corp has been running well, they've been running big on this coalition push towards nuclear. And some of their commentators have been claiming that the gen cost figures, which really are the best estimates we have of the costs of new generation, are inaccurate because they didn't include transmission costs. AEMO, so the energy market operator, actually put out a statement saying categorically that was wrong. They actually did include the costs of transmission. 
that seemed to have been missed by News Corp, who continue to make the claims most recently in an editorial in The Australian, which talks about what they say are the facts exposed by their columnists, which put the sword to claims that renewables are the cheapest option because they do not take account of the billions of dollars needed for firming storage and transmission upgrades that will be spent prior to 2030. I mean, go back to the AEMO statement that came out like the day before. Recent media commentary that AEMO's plan does not include transmission and storage as well as generation costs associated with providing electricity to Australian customers is wrong. So they're really trying to turn facts on their heads in terms of the cost to support the nuclear argument. I think we need to be really clear that, you know, the gen cost is our best available information and that it does, according to AEMO, include transmission and storage. What have they got against Australia's abundant supply of free sun and wind, Lenore? It feels like the coalition is really hankering to find a way to return to the climate wars. They're kind of testing the water. They're not committing yet. So all the talk this week was just we're going to continue investigating this policy. They haven't actually announced their policy yet. And they're trying to, I guess, to see what uptake they can get from this argument that doesn't make economic or scientific sense. And I guess that's the tip of the iceberg. And under the water, there's also a really big social media campaign afoot from a lot of the right-wing think tanks and commentators to discredit renewable power. I think there is like the biggest ever trial balloon trying to see, can we discredit renewables and get some sort of traction with nuclear, because then we'll be back in the climate wars, which we wanted to. Now, I think it's a hard case to make because all the evidence says nuclear is more expensive and that and, and going for the most expensive form of energy in the middle of a cost of living crisis is, you know, brave. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where they're trying to go. I guess the thing is it doesn't really require nuclear to even be the actual policy and certainly doesn't require it's not going to happen certainly doesn't require it to actually happen but if they can show that labor's policy on renewables is failing in their terms and obviously the transition to a zero emissions economy is incredibly difficult there are lots of problems and if they can portray that as not working and say well look here we've put up this other idea that they could have just easily adopted they're never going to have to prove that, that that would have worked just to just to make a negative case against the actual transition that Labor is trying to put into practice. Yeah, because, I mean, after the last election, we were thinking about or looking for how would the coalition regroup after having such a significant loss? Would they track back to the policy centre? You know, what would they do on environmental issues, having lost all those seats to the Teals? And to some extent, I guess we're seeing that they are going down this path of looking to see whether they can find topics that can sort of be spun into an alternative facts policy of grievance type issue. And I think that's where they're looking to see if they can go that way with energy policy. And that's sort of a pattern of how they are responding in opposition. But it does seem, this one does seem very much pitched to those particular seats in the Hunter Valley, in central Queensland, in essentially in the coal mining areas and other regional areas and definitely not to the inner city seats that were won by the Teals, because even though nuclear is a low emissions technology and zero emissions technology effectively, it's hard to imagine nuclear power, a nu- the creation yeah. of a nuclear power industry appealing to those kind of voters. Well, I mean, if they, went, if they really go down this path, they'd be kind of given up on the Teals yeah. seats, you'd have to think. Is it working? Like, will this kind of politics of grievance work for them? I mean... Uh... 
I guess we'll see. I think on this issue, as I said, I think it'll be difficult because there is such clear evidence that it's more expensive. And, you know, if you put it in the context of the evidence that we're seeing everywhere about the reality of global heating, the idea that we're still farnarkling around with some, you know, technology that is too expensive and isn't going to be here for 10 years or 20 years anyway in order to sort of cultivate a culture war rather than do something about the evident problem and that that is happening all around us, it kind of beggars belief really. And I think that case is, is going to be pretty easy to make against this particular issue. I also think from their point of view, the maths just don't work. and The electoral maths, there just are more seats that they need to win in the cities than there are in the regions. And if they don't win those some of those inner city seats back, it's very hard to see how they're going to how they're going to be in government again. So it looks like a hard ask to regain power when all their policies are directed to outer suburban and regional seats and not to the inner cities without having something that can cover both. Like a sensible policy. Yeah. <laughs> Next, mushrooms and bad French accents other than my own. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what's stuck in your mind this week? It's the story about the tragic deaths of three people in Victoria and another one being critically ill after eating what apparently eating poisonous mushrooms at a lunch. Obviously, this is a very serious and devastating story and really terrible for those families in that community. But I think it really is sticking in people's mind because it's like a proper mystery. It could be the plot of one of those terrible shows, the ABC screens in family viewing slots. You know, people are really, you know, trying to solve what happened to these people and what happened at the lunch. I think reporters have struggled a little bit to get new facts this week because the police are quite properly investigating, you know, investigating the whole situation. Our report revealed that it was a beef Wellington pie that they ate at the lunch. Every editor like me in the country is saying, we want to know the facts here. And I think it's a hard ask for reporters to find the facts when the police are still investigating and new information is quite hard to come by. But I think it's a story that everyone is reading. Mm. I, I'm reading every update, that's for sure. Mike, 
Do you have something less serious to talk about by <laughs> I have any something chance? Almost completely inconsequential, uh, but I found it very funny. So a video has gone on the internet of the Irish rugby union player Ronan O'Gara. <laughs> now a coach of the French team, La Rochelle, giving his team talk to the to his French team. Sandy on that favourite. Me ton humor. In French, but French punctuated by a lot of English words <laughs> and a lot of swearing, and it is just very funny. And with um, an Irish accent. With a delightful <laughs> Irish accent. It is, it is very funny, but I think there is a small serious point in there, which he talks about actually in our story about it, which is that when you're trying to learn a, a second language, I'm sure many of us have struggled, well, I've certainly struggled with learning a second language, but the key is to just absolutely go for it and not mm. worry about making mistakes. And if you don't know the word, fill it in either with a word in your own language or a swear word or something or just to cover the space. Or language slightly modified. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what he does. And it works. I mean, and they won the game. <laughs> and but, lots of French people were delighted, weren't they? Uh, they were, yes. They applauded him genuinely yeah. and, and were also, for having, also a go. Delighted. Yeah. for having a go, yeah. And um, there's a phrase in there which I won't repeat because it does involve a swear word, but I think uh, it's one that uh, the Matildas coach should deploy. The opportunity say fucking enorm. May I come on to a zero, a zero on the great energy, let the esprit, the sacrifice. Absolutely, on Saturday before their game. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Lenore. Thanks, Gaz. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you're listening on Spotify, please follow Full Story to get daily episodes in your feed. And actually, wherever you listen to podcasts, please subscribe. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and James Milsom. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. Full Story will be back with you Saturday for another special episode on the Matildas, so do listen before you watch the big match, and we'll be back with a full episode on Monday. Catch you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.